Hey, everybody. Welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Heath Liday. I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great ATQ writers, Tristan Holmes. How you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. Hi. Uh, how about yourself? Uh, not bad. Not bad. I'm uh, uh, back from a, a trip and, and <laughs> unpacked my recording kit. Uh, that's why we're recording a little late. Uh, that and your uh, feverish tap dancing. Um, yes, that too uh let's see you covered uh the uh civil war uh uh on the women's basketball side um uh pretty close game uh oregon state prevailed 64 to 60 um this game was pretty scrappy Uh, that's probably the the best way i can describe it especially if we want to take a uh, a glass half full look at look at this game is that this was a game where Oregon came out ice cold from the floor and found themselves in a big hole pretty early, but then they fought their way back and they kept fighting their way back through the second and third quarters. It was essentially tied. In fact, it was tied in the fourth and they just couldn't find quite enough offensive production down the stretch. What I will say is that for anyone who saw or heard us talk about the prior meeting in the series this year, where it looked as if Oregon just plain ran out of gas up in Corvallis, you didn't see that at home. I I saw no lack of effort uh, coming at Matthew Knight Arena. I think it was just not enough balls went in the hoop is what it came down to. Yeah, I mean, we're going to wind up sending, you know, pretty broken record, but like, you know, in terms of, uh, I mean, let's just do it, you know, yet again, uh, another great defensive performance, right? Mm -hmm. You know, Oregon limited the Beavers to, you know, 42% shooting um, from the floor, 25% from three-point range and that's not a statistical anomaly oregon Mm -hmm. state shot you know they attempted 24 three-pointers you know oregon was effectively you know pushing them to the perimeter you know wouldn't you say like that that was a that was a concerted defensive strategy absolutely there was a big emphasis on because uh in corvallis what really cost oregon that game and made them unstoppable was that they the beavers were moving the ball really well and getting it inside to beers they're mm-hmm. uh, they're really good power forward and beers just crushed them uh beers was productive but she wasn't the one who beat them and yeah. they were playing a lot of zone defense they were pushing it out to the perimeter and the beavers weren't hitting it so on defense solid game plan solid execution especially with sophia bell still uh still injured we hope that she gets healthy and gets back soon but it didn't affect the team's defense too much yeah i mean they they limited beers to to 14 points on 6 of 12 shooting from the floor only you know fouled her basically once so mm-hmm. she you know only went to the free throw throw line you know and shot two free throws um you know, Tamea Gardner had a good game. You know, she went eight for 16 uh, from the floor uh, and was the, you know, the, the leading scorer for the Beavs. Um, you, you know, and that was on two for five, you know, uh, uh, shooting from the three-point arc. But, you know, that's that was Oregon's strategy, was push them to the three-point line, dare them to shoot threes. And for the most part, like, they weren't. Like they, mm-hmm. they you know, uh, and limiting a, a team to 64 points 
you know, in a women's basketball game, like you ought to win that. Yeah. Like, you, you, you know, you ought to win that game or, and again, you know, again, we're sending like a broken record. I know, but here it is. They did it without fouling them, you know, or, or basically, you know, Oregon state only, you know, shot 11 free throws in this game. They were making their free throws. They were eight for 11, but you know, not much you can do to control your opponent's, uh, uh, accuracy from the charity stripe, but like, Hey, only shooting 11 free throws means that you're playing while limiting your opponent to, to that low, uh, uh, shooting from the floor, like means you're, you're doing your job defensively. You're, you're, you're limiting their defense, their offensive production without fouling and, and giving them limited opportunities to, you know, score points from the free throw line. Like all, all of this is nominal, like, uh, they, they're really only allowing one player to get defensive rebounds who's beers, who's basically unstoppable in terms of defensive rebounding. Um, you know, but basically like the rest of the team combined barely equaled beers um, in terms of defensive rebounding, you know, uh, that the you know the the, the uh, Oregon State only got five steals in the entire game. Oregon State only got you know seven, you know seven blocks, six takeaways. You know, like the, Oregon, you know, was doing an excellent job. You know, of, of everything that they needed to do to win the game, with one exception. What's that one exception, Tristan? That one exception, unfortunately, is kind of an important thing. If you want to win a basketball game, the ball has to go through the hoop. And that is what Oregon was struggling to do. And it's it's so frustrating when you list off all the things this team was doing right on Sunday. They were doing a lot of things right, but they were struggling with offensive production. Uh, as usual, they only had uh, three players who had significant production. That was... Uh, Filipina Che, who got another double-double, almost a super double-double, 16 points, 18 rebounds. She was really dominating on the inside. Yeah. Uh, Chance Gray had a good night, 6 of 15 from the floor. That's not great, but 2 for 2 from three-point range, that's really good. Uh, but Grace Van Sluten was a little off, and when one of your three reliable scorers is mm -hmm. a little off, then... At, See, I no think that's hilarious that you're like... You know, Chance Gray had a good night, it, Phil, and Grace Van Sluten had an off night, and, and their numbers are identical. You know, like that's, yeah, you're you're telling on yourself, Tristan, for like what your expectations I'm, unfortunately, are for I'm those on two players. You know, yeah. <laughs> like your expectations for Chance Gray are, are at this point are for her to play poorly, and your expectations for Grace Van Sluten are for her to play well. And so when they both play like kind of below average games you're you're like standing up and cheering for chance gray and you're like what's wrong with grace and like yeah look we need to we need to ask the question what's wrong with grace van sluten she got injured a couple of weeks ago i'm not sure if she's still like carrying that nagging injury but like it's definitely the case that like her production is down five for 16 shooting is like not what she's typically doing. She was four for seven from the charity stripe, which is a problem. Um, 
you know, Oregon as a, as a collective was 11 for 17 from the charity stripe in a game they lost by four points, right? They missed six free throws in a game they lost by four points. Yeah, if you if you can say how does how does Oregon find a way to win games when uh, your best scorer Van Sluten is has not been as productive, the only way to try to make that up is you got to get fouled and you got to make your free throws. And well, I mean, there's like six different ways you could make that up, Tristan. I mean, come on, like you could make your free throws. Grace Van Sluten could, you know, be not in this funk that she's in or injured. If that's the case, you, Chance Gray could be productive you know for a change um or or as we've been saying like every single time we talk about wins basketball any of these other players could make a basket right kennedy basham one for two priscilla williams zero for five ula chamberlain one for two sammy wagner zero for one kennedy williams two for five sarah rhombus two for three like give me could you make please please make a basket any of these other six players on the team please please make a basket like nope it's just we've been we've been kind of hoping somehow some folks oh and all those six players that i just mentioned like uh, none of them go to the charity stripe at all, except for Kennedy Basham, who two for two from the yeah. charity stripe, but everybody else zero for zero. Yeah. So like yeah. none of them are going to the iron and getting, you know, fouled either. It's all, you know, they're all trying to jack, jack up like 20 foot jumpers and missing them. Like the most unproductive possible thing that you could do. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Not at all. I mean, it, again, we're sounding like a broken record here, which is why I think we're both a little, I'll say it, you know, as fans, we're a little frustrated by by what we're seeing right now. And again, I want to make it very clear. It's not due to a lack of effort. The team is trying their darndest, but, you know, unless, unless somehow, you know, someone waves a uh, a fairy wand over, over some of these other players and they start being more productive from the floor, uh, we're just not going to see a lot more wins in the Pac-12 this year. But I mean, it's 64 to 60 on their home court. And like this was your I mean, you're right. This was so much better than the horrible, you know, performance that they turned in in Corvallis in which, you know, what what was it? You know, what they, you know, Oregon State turned it on and they went on like a some awful thing, like a 32 to six run or some horrible thing like that. where Oregon just turned into zombies mm-hmm. like it wasn't that, you know, this was a scrappy game. Mm-hmm. You know, for the whole thing, and in a four-point game in which we just identified like a bunch of term alternate what you know, make your free throws. Any one of those players could have hit a spark. You know, Grace Van Sluten or Chance Gray could have you know been nominally productive. Uh, you know, yeah, like it was it was there for the taking, and the defensive performance was sterling. All, yeah. all, you know, it's there. It's tandle. I mean, that's the thing is that this team's on the bottom of the Pac-12, but they're like genuinely playing well enough in every other aspect to be on the top of the Pac-12 if they could just make a basket like. Uh. 
again, it's frustrating as a fan because you see there, there's so much potential if this one area could could improve. But unfortunately, this late in the season, I'm afraid that uh, yeah. I, I don't have a lot of confidence that they're going to be able to fix that at this point this well, season. Yeah, I say uh, it every time. Okay, just because it's an interesting and or new or terrible thing to talk about, what do you, you know, you watch this game. Uh, do you think that Grace Van Sluten is carrying a nagging injury? Like, what is she's sort of been in a slump? which is bad because like she's been like the only really good player that Oregon's had. I mean, I think the Filipina Che is actually a really good player too, but it's just like the way that she plays, she needs other players to be really on their game for her to be super productive. So like, that's a problem given yeah. the nature of everybody else, but like, you know, Van Sluten can score on her own and, she hasn't been for like like three or four games she's been and like she missed a game out with injury and then ever since she's come back it's sort of like she hasn't been the same it makes me think like the obvious explanation is that she's playing with sort of you know not back to a hundred percent do you when you watch her play do you think that that explanation holds water what do you think I wouldn't go so far as to say I'm I'm reasonably certain that that's what's happening, but I think that's probably the most likely explanation. While I was watching this game, I know earlier in the season, both Van Sluten and Che were having a lot of productivity, you know, inside in the paint and taking it to the iron. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't seeing as much aggressiveness in that way from Van Sluten, which again, if she's got a nagging injury that she can play on, but she doesn't feel that she's at full strength, it would make sense that she wasn't able to drive as aggressively. But then again, I'm not the most avid basketball watcher, so I don't want to say, yeah. oh, yeah, I've, I've seen that before. She's obviously hurt. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. And I, I mean, you know, obviously there's every incentive in the world for her to try to, like, conceal it, you know, oh, to yeah. for to, for strategic reasons uh, against opponents. Um, and then, I, you know, I already said it, but like, you know, chance, chance is six for 15 from the floor. That's not good. No. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Me no, you, you really want to see seven or eight of 15. I mean, it's yeah. wonderful. She hit those two threes. That was awesome. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta overall field goal percentage. You gotta get near fifty percent. That's the goal, right? I in a game they lost by four. Yeah, right. You know she hits two more buckets. They're going to overtime. I don't know. Like it's frustrating because you know it's a there's a, there's like seven different ways that we that we could play the what if you know what if this you know what if they hit those free throws what if you know chance made one more basket what if you know um you will drive ourselves nuts um the uh you know they they still got February to go yep. <laughs> Uh, and they're on the bottom of the conference looking up. I don't know. Like, I'm not joking about this. It, every aspect of the way that they like, I, I, I know how frustrating this is. And I know a lot of fans have sort of written this team off and, and not illogically, but like, it really is the case 
that in every way but one, this team is playing high-level basketball. It's just, if you don't have offensive production and you're really like, not just don't have it, but are like in the hole for more than half of your team are just like straight up unproductive, like, Oh, and Sophia Bell's still not on the floor. You know, I guess that's an, I mean, actually the fact that they're playing such good defense without Sophia Bell, who's sort of one of their defensive specialists is another thing that we should be saying is like kind of an impressive thing. Um, Oh, certainly. uh, But again, it's like, I make a basket. It's literally the name of the sport. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, Let's take a break. Uh, We come back. We'll talk some tennis. So uh, the tennis teams uh, return uh, back home. Um, the the uh, <laughs> the women's team got thrashed by the number one team in the country, uh, uh, UNC, the defending national champions. Um, and uh, 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 to, to the friendly confines uh, of Eugene, Oregon, um, they did a little better uh, at home. Uh, they, they played, uh, 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 St. Mary's in Eastern Washington and, uh, they kind of turned the tables instead of getting swept. They did the sweeping. It, very much so. Uh, going to Chapel Hill to face North Carolina, that was always going to be an uphill climb and that's putting it mildly. So I wasn't shocked when, uh, when that went the way it did, uh, I'm new to covering tennis this year, so I didn't know much about Charlotte, the other team that uh, that the women's team played on their on their trip to North Carolina. But looking up, they're also a very solid program, and uh, the women got beat by them as well. But back in Eugene, boy, they the, rallied. The Charlotte they match, way. the Charlotte match was was you know respectable. You know they they took a couple of the singles matches, and like you know it was it was an unfortunate weekend for the Ducks because like the you know they got the the women's side got smashed by unc and then they lost to charlotte and then the men's side lost both of their matches as well and so it's like oh man they lost all four but if you look at the other three you know the the not unc ones like they were right in it with all three of them where it's like two to four you know like and and like they'd win the doubles so it's like all they need to do is win one more of the singles and they would have flipped it to a win and so it's like oh man you know it's 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 like in football where it's like you you know you go oh and four but they're all you know, one, one point losses, you know, or, or, or one score losses. And it's like, yeah, I know I, it, it, if you're sort of surface level looking at this as like, uh, you know, Oh, we got blew out, but we didn't got bl- get blown out. You know, this is just like kind of bad luck, you know, sort of. And so when they came back home and, you know, against this level of competition and just like blew them out of the water, I was like, yeah, cause because this team's like that that level, you know, they're like, you know, when they feast teams like this, they blow them out of the water. Yeah, everything we've seen so far is that uh, both of these squads, but the, the women's team in particular, is a solid team. They can be competitive against other solid teams. North Carolina just happens to be elite and possibly the most elite in the country. Yeah. So you don't want to take too much away from that. They're You're trying to punch above your weight class, and they missed. Uh, 
but they come home to Eugene and in their first match on Friday, the situation is reversed. They're up against Eastern Washington and they've got the Eagles outgunned uh, pretty much the entire way. It was a seven, nothing sweep. Uh, the ducks took two doubles matches. So they got the doubles point and then swept the singles and only a single match went to a third set when uh, Aparisi had to go to three sets to get a win over Kelly Arends. All the rest were done in consecutive sets. So that was a dominant performance coming home. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, they gave up two singles matches to St. Mary's, but, but I mean, still four, two and, and, uh, you know, like, you know, the hardly broke a sweat. Um, I mean, the, frankly, the only thing in your, your article, those really, that you thought was worth mentioning was that they mixed it up a little bit on, on the double side. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting because in the fall, Sophie Lucier and uh, Martinez Morale combined and were they, their only ranked entry in the, in the doubles, they, they had a national ranking. I believe it was number 56, but you know, somewhere in the fifties or sixties. But this weekend, and I'm not sure if this is just their, trying some new combinations to get a matchup, or maybe they they feel that they found an even better pairing. But uh, Lucier is with Nina Geisler this past weekend, and Martinez Morale was with uh, Joe Chan. And Lucier and Geisler won both of their matches, so that's certainly working. Uh, Joe Chan and Uksha Martinez Morale, they beat the pair from St. Mary's. They were beating the Eastern Washington pair they were up against, but didn't need to finish because Oregon took the other two right. matches. Yeah. That's how it works in tennis is that if you, if the, if you start, if, if your doubles match starts later than the other two and the, and you, and the, but the other two are both wins for your team, they're just like, they're not, okay, you don't need to finish. So like we, we can sort of project what was going to happen though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? All right. So then on the men's side, um, you know, uh, again, when they, uh, y- you know, w- when they, they traveled out to Columbus, Ohio, the previous weekend, although the, uh, uh, unlike the women's side where they traveled out to Chapel Hill and faced the host, mm-hmm. Oregon didn't face the host in, in Ohio state. They played, um, against Boise state in Vanderbilt, um, and lost both of those, but the, like in total heartbreaking fashion, like, uh, like the, the Boise state one was just like a, a killer. Cause they won the doubles point and then it was like two to four in the singles. So, and like, there was a particular singles match that went to the third set. So it was like, if they if they won and and i think one of those sets it was like 7-6 so it was like if they won one more point they would have flipped the set and that set would have flipped the match and then flipping that match would have meant 3 to 3 in the singles which would have meant the doubles would have been the tiebreaker and they would have won the whole thing you know it's like you've got to be kidding me like one point decided this whole thing like yeah so yeah, I think it's fair to say they played Boise State to a draw and and lost a coin flip. Yeah. So like, yeah, if anybody's sort of looking at it superficially and it was like, oh man, o- Oregon went zero and four that weekend, they must suck. Like, ah uh, man, if you drill down deeper, like it's not really an accurate depiction. So 
they come home and they take on a little higher level of competition than the women did. Uh, the, they took on uh, Northwestern and Wisconsin uh, from the, the new conference, the Big Ten. How'd that go? Uh, they smoked Northwestern. It got to got the doubles point, won the first three singles matches. That was the end of it. Both teams had matches later in the weekend, didn't want to... Uh, risk injury or fatigue now that the whole thing was decided so that was over real quick yeah they shut it down i I, i'm not sure i've ever seen that before they just completely shut it down after four singles matches uh didn't even you know do the other two i was like okay (laughs) it's just like okay we're done here (laughs) off you go like the nerds went and uh went to the see the eugene nightlife or something i guess <laughs> i guess i believe them the men were actually still on the road last weekend oh that's uh, right you're right yeah. they would the it would the women were home in eugene the the men went to chicago mm-hmm. yeah the, so the men were in chicago so i don't know maybe the northwestern uh players wanted to show them at chicago nightlife um but yeah that was that was over and done very quickly the uh the match against Wisc Wis- against Wisconsin was interesting for an unfortunate reason. They traveled up to Madison to take up Wisconsin. Wisconsin only had five players available to bring to the match. Uh, I wasn't able to find any details. I assume it's probably injury or illness. That's the most likely cause. But in tennis, the way that works is that if you don't have enough players to put on the court, you forfeit that match. So Oregon is up one nothing. And they haven't even uh, broken out the rackets yet because Wisconsin can't put a player in the sixth singles match. It also means they can't field the doubles team. So in to get the doubles point, Wisconsin would have had to win two out of two that were actually played. Mm-hmm. So Oregon won the first one and got the doubles point. So mm. going into the five singles matches, Wisconsin is already down to nothing. So it would have been quite the achievement if wisconsin had managed to to come back and pull that out they would have had to win four out of five singles matches and they didn't they only won a uh one singles match Uh, yeah but i mean look even as shorthand as they were oregon still smoked them i mean like oregon won what was it four of the five singles matches that they played right four of the five singles matches they didn't leave any doubt as to oh well you know we were down a guy you can't really call it a win no this was a win yeah um yeah right that was a pretty clean kill uh you know and they did it on uh on wisconsin's home court right you know this was in madison right Mm -hmm. uh i would hope that in february in madison this was in an indoor setting but i've never been to their campus so i'm not sure uh yeah so you know uh, pr- pretty nice uh performance and and uh bounce back for the men uh you know the like i said you know against boise state and vanderbilt you know those were both pretty close you know neither one of those were you know did oregon get sw- swept off the court they were just like close losses by you know basically like a single you know by a single match you know and then they did very well against uh, you know big 10 competition in their place you know and so that's you know been four straight matches on the road in big 10 territory um you know for the for the for the men's side so yeah you know been pretty solid performance you know all things considered on the men's side as well uh all right uh anything else you want to cover before we move on 
I think that about sums it up. We got a couple of uh, really solid tennis squads, and both of them will be back in action in Eugene this weekend. So if you're in or around the Eugene area, go check it out. Yeah, the uh, the men will be um, taking on uh, Nevada uh, on Saturday and uh, Seattle. Um, uh, Nevada at 9 a.m., Seattle at 5 p.m., as you mentioned in your article. And the women uh, will be taking on uh, UC Santa Barbara uh, on Saturday at noon and uh, Denver on uh, Sunday at uh, 11 a.m. All right, uh, let's take a break. Uh, we come back, we'll uh, talk some Ducks football. So we previewed it a bit the last time that we talked, but uh, since then you have actually gone ahead and published uh, the two different articles on uh, Oregon's uh, uh, developmental uh, players during all the extensive garbage time uh, that the the Ducks generated. Um, uh, what did we work out? It was 11 different uh, games uh, that, that the Ducks played last year that they put into garbage time where it was either like the uh, basically the entirety of the second half or the entirety of the fourth quarter was garbage time, something like that? Pretty much. Uh, I think the, the only games that didn't have any garbage time snaps the way we analyze it were the two games against that Northern school and mm-hmm. the Texas Tech game. Yeah, right. Um, And uh, yeah, the Texas Tech game in retrospect is one of the weirdest games the Ducks played. These were like really in, they weren't just really sort of in shape, you know, yet. That's sort of the, uh, you know, when you look at sort of the the track of the season, what you really see is that the Ducks sort of, um, like, especially like the, you can see it most clearly in the offensive line grades, or at least I can, because mm-hmm. I, I have the offensive line grades in front of me, uh, that like the, 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 you know, it was funny. I was talking to, to, to another uh, friend of mine who also records a ducks podcast where like th- they, they were very aggressively pushing back against the, the uh, the 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 thing that everybody was saying in the off season when they wanted to be duck detractors, which was I don't know, they're replacing four offensive linemen, and, and my friend was just like, "No, they're not really. You didn't study the ducks enough. Like that, you know, it's the offensive line is is not going to be a problem at all, and like, and definitely by the end of the year that." that argument was true like they rounded into to excellent shape and i i wouldn't trade oregon's offensive line for anybody's in the pac-12 really for almost anybody's in the country um but at, like at the beginning of the year like they needed some time to gel and like that texas tech game like yeah definitely the case and to the point of your project about the uh, you know the garbage time film in which like Oh man, I barely watched any of that Portland State tape because yeah. A, it was an FCS game, and B, you know, <laughs> the Ducks put the poor Vikes into to garbage time so quick. You wound up watching, I think, more, you know, as the clock turned of that uh, of that game than I did. And in some ways, you know, it was an, it must have been an interesting way to watch because the Ducks were in such rough shape. 
could you tell me, you know, what were your takeaways, you know, from that early in the season versus what you were seeing in garbage time late in the season? It's interesting you mentioned the Portland State game. Anyone who reads the articles, and if you haven't, please go to the site and do so, uh, will notice that easily there are more clips from the Portland State game than there are from any other single game. And it might even be, yeah, it's certainly a plurality, probably not a majority. Uh, Part of that is because... Uh, Obviously, that game went into garbage time at the half, as only a couple of other games did. But the other one was, I'm pretty sure the staff were planning on that game from the get-go because it was an FCS opponent that if players are only going to see the field once this year, this is the game where it's going to happen. So I had a couple of folks. There was a... Uh, one of the one of the tackles, the developmental tackles, number 78, and uh, one of the safeties who we may talk about a little later, Turner, number 19. That was the only time that I saw them on the field was the Portland State game. And I can back you up on this, that it wasn't just the starters who were having trouble blocking in that Portland State game. I think everybody was having trouble blocking. For instance, uh, Tight end Kenyon Sadiq, who's someone I think we should mm-hmm. expect to see in non-garbage time next year, given the tight end room. Yeah, definitely. I had nine blocking errors for him in all of the film I charted. Five of them were the Portland State game. Yeah. And he got a lot better after that. Yeah. Yeah, it's from I mean, like it's just a truism. You just get better with time. Like mm-hmm. and and like and the other sort of truism that you find and people don't believe me whenever I tell them this, but like your opponent is way less relevant to the quality of your performance than people think like the main factor that controls the quality of your performance is you. And, and the main factor that, that controls that, uh, that, that controls how good you are is how much practice time that you've put in you know, how much like you've gelled with your teammates, how much you've, you know, strength and conditioning work that you put in, you know, how much like you've, you've studied and, and, and internalized the playbook, et cetera, et cetera. And all of those things take time. So like the idea that your first game would be your worst game, even though it's against your easiest opponent, you know, people would think your easiest opponent, that should be your best game. Nope. I guarantee you your first game is going to be your worst game mm-hmm. because it's your first game. You've had the least amount of time to work on yourself. Yeah. Exactly. And that's why we see so many big time programs like to have their first game of the year either be against an FCS or a uh, a non uh I don't even know what we're calling them anymore, but a uh, power a, a, a mid-major, you know, yeah. a, a quote-unquote mid-major, either a mid-major or uh, an FCS team, because you're expecting both teams to make a lot of errors because they mm-hmm. haven't had the time to gel in play, and the talent differential is going to give you a safety margin there. Uh, all right. So, uh, so what else? What else surprised you? I think the. It surprised me. We talked about it a little bit. I was surprised at. I was surprised we didn't see more position shuffling in the secondary. 
we talked about how Oregon is pretty deep at corner, and I got the mm-hmm. I got some really nice clips, especially number sixteen, Pleasant. Uh, mm-hmm. Oregon brought in a lot of transfers at corner. They've got some returning starters. I wouldn't necessarily expect him to see the field too much in in non garbage time next year, but you never know. He was pretty impressive when I did see him. Uh, I got some good footage on the corners. But even as the year wore on, I wasn't seeing a lot of guys getting rotated in at safety, but that does come with a caveat. Uh, This coaching staff, I think, has done a really good job with modern roster management tools on the whole. They do a good job at going and finding transfers who fit, and they also do a pretty good job of processing out players that they don't have in their future plans and generally they don't get surprised when someone leaves i think i found a surprise and that is because one of the first defensive players who would come in in garbage time was safety number 21 cole martin he was the first guy in the secondary who would come off the bench and play in the garbage time so i had probably i had more uh good and bad clips on him than anyone else in the secondary and this is a team of the developmental of the the developmental players yes uh good to keep that in mind yes but of the developmental secondary players he's the one i had the most film on so i was looking forward to making clips of him but then he transferred this year yeah and given that they staff only took in two transfers at safety uh during the the first portal window i think they were thinking of my suspicion, I don't have any inside info on this, obviously, but just given how much Martin was playing, given the fact that they only rotated three safeties last year and that's not enough, I think they were thinking, okay, we've uh, we've got one of our starters coming back. We've found guys in the portal we think can be starters, and Cole Martin is going to be our fourth safety. That'll be our our rotation. Now we can worry about depth. I don't think they were ready for Martin to leave. So I am very curious as to what that means in spring ball. Are they going to try and now start moving some guys over to safety because they've got so much depth at corner? Or are they going to try and find someone at least with starting experience in the spring? Yeah, that is really interesting. I I suspect that you're right that that, that, that Martin's that unlike everybody else who left, who, you know, either didn't surprise them or, or you know, they actively pushed out, um, that Martin was someone that they were planning on, you know, on, on returning and, and that his departure was a surprise. Um, I, I think you're probably right about that. Uh, what is the, the rest of the guys in the secondary, um, you know, you're right. And I, I've spilled a lot of ink, you know, talking about, you know, exactly that issue, sort of the lack of the rotation in the secondary uh, or in the, you know, the, 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 the not outside corners part of the secondary, the, the, you know, the, 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 the nickel or slot corner position, the, the, the couple of deep safeties um, that, that basically ever since Brian Addison took himself out of the rotation that they were they were playing three guys and three guys only every single snap and and that they were essentially making the choice 
to not play Nico Reed at the slot corner, which is a choice that I disagreed with. And, you know, and I guess they were also making the choice to not really play Cole Martin until garbage time, which seems like maybe it was a choice that he disagreed with. Yeah. Um, although that's speculation. Um, the, uh, let's keep the speculation going. Uh, what what else can you tell me? You know, there's been some speculation about um, the true freshman that you mentioned, uh, Roderick Pleasant and uh, Dalen Austin were brought in. Uh, you know, the, everybody tagged them as cornerbacks, sort of outside corners. Um, there's been some speculation about one or the other, or maybe both of those guys converting over to safety. Where did you see those guys playing on the field during garbage time? After our last conversation, I went back to the clips I had highlighted and double checked where I saw those guys lining up. Pleasant, at least last year, I only saw on game film at outside corner. So okay. if they were, maybe he was getting practice reps there, but I didn't see that on the film. Austin was a little different. Early in the year, he was on the outside, and number 14, Terrell, was playing nickel. But mm -hmm. then after a while, I didn't see Terrell again, and I don't know if that was an injury situation. or I, I've if, heard that he was injured. It, that would make sense then, because then Austin got moved into nickel. Mm -hmm. So they were moving him around a little bit. And so if someone were to move... Just because they moved Austin to nickel and had him play over slot receivers more, I think he might be the one that they moved first and maybe kept Pleasant uh, out on the outside just because, again, you know, it's non-representative play. But my, my favorite clip in the whole project is a play where uh, Pleasant is one-on-one -on -one versus Brendan Rice against USC and has him completely smothered. Nice um yeah okay so we talked a little bit about terrell i i like i said i have heard that he was injured where where was terrell playing prior to that absence he was at nickel he okay. was over the slot and then uh and then you didn't see let's see who else you didn't see how, did you see colin gill at all i did not see colin gill okay did you see um uh, Cody DeCambra didn't see DeCambra either. Neither of those guys showed up during my film study. It's possible they could have been on the field and just the camera never panned to them, but I never noticed. Uh, so then that really just leaves one other guy, uh, and that's Tyler Turner, mm -hmm. uh, number 19. Um, and Turner uh, was definitely on there. I, I found one really good clip where the ball came his way, but I can say I do remember seeing him late in the Fiesta Bowl, even though we didn't get any yeah. really great plays of his just because the ball never went his direction. But he was definitely out there. Where was he at? He was at safety. Okay. So that's, safety. In, so that's interesting. So, you know, we'll have to keep our eye on so you know and you know everybody that we just mentioned you know with the exception of uh, of martin who transferred out oh another guy also transferred out who you didn't see on the field damon david mm -hmm. um you know all, all those guys are coming back right you know yes. uh, uh uh nico reed 
uh, is coming back. He was effectively relegated to the bench, even though I didn't think he should have been. Um, The true freshman, Roderick Pleasant, who you said, you know, is just playing outside corner. Dalen Austin, who you said was playing both outside corner and uh, inside. Um, uh, uh, Colin Gill, Solomon Davis, uh, you know, the the true freshman, those guys uh, are are coming back as well. Uh, Kamari Terrell, who was playing at nickel, um, but then was absent i think was injured uh uh tyler turner was playing safety um uh he's a true freshman um and uh cody to camera you didn't see he was a true freshman oh um by the way every single one of the guys that i've uh, just mentioned with the exception of colin gill um is a four star uh right you know so like it, it was a very talented you know 2023 class it's just it was shot through with uh right like you know a uh, a uh, uh, pleasant austin uh uh, uh turner and decambra all four stars right uh you know they just you know they they weren't on the field that much because hey they're true freshmen um and uh uh decambra who was a 2022 so only a redshirt freshman you know was probably injured for part of the year um and and then you know davis and gill who were three stars uh you know also true freshmen so like yeah you know, for anybody who's like, oh my God, Oregon is so shorthanded. Like, keep in mind, like there was like six different dudes who's coming back here. It's just, they were all freshmen. And so this is, I think, going to be like a pretty vibrant mix in, you know, for 2024, you know, in between the transfers who are coming in, right uh, of which there are four right you know mm-hmm. uh, jabbar muhammad and came alexander as corners could be savage and brandon johnson as safeties um they return uh taishim johnson who was a starter last year um it and then all these you know and then of course you know they also return you know uh dante manning julio florence on the outside uh they return nico reed uh who they used at least at points um and then they return all these dudes right who were all freshmen right pleasant austin davis gill terrell uh, Turner and Cambra. So, and, you know, and then the like five different defensive backs, uh, that they brought in, in the 24 class, one of whom is a, a, a Juco, you know, one of the top rated Juco cornerbacks in the country, um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, who's probably gonna be ready to play right away. Uh, so like the secondary is a pretty hot mix, you know, in 2024, uh, and this garbage time stuff, uh, you, you know, is, is an, you know, an interesting part of it, even though, you know, we only got to see, you know, a, a small, you know, bit of it, you know, the, the bit that we got to see of Turner, the bit that we got to see of Terrell and then the very intriguing stuff that we got to see out of Pleasant and Austin. Do do I have all that right? Uh, you've got it all right as as far as my notes go. Yeah, there's a lot of talented depth on this team, and they're going to keep bringing it on because, as you always bring up, it's the rule of thirds. If you need one quality starter, you got to go find three quality recruits because that's how many it takes to to hit on it. And yeah. the staff has not been shy and, about and, that. And Oregon needs five, which means yep. they got to have fifteen, right? <laughs> yep. So like. 
you know, that's a lot of dudes, you know, and yep. I mean, they have the numbers. Like if I've done my math correctly, like they, they, they have in between dudes who are proven, right? Like Tyson Johnson is proven, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and Kobe Savage, you know, is proven um and 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 brandon johnson is proven uh you know and it's just like in terms of the depth that they need you know so that you know they're not just playing three guys you know it, it, you know so that they can rotate as well you know they they have the numbers that they need so that following the rule of thirds that they should be able to you know hit on enough dudes so that they're not just stuck with exactly as many as they need and no more and therefore lose out on positional flexibility and the rotational advantages that you get from not like exhausting your players. Um, but it's, it's, it's still, you know, we have to see how it plays out. Um, and, uh, and your project is an interesting window into, you know, the, 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 you know, the preliminaries for, for how that's going to go. Let's move up a level and talk about the linebackers. Mm -hmm. Um, we got to see, uh, from your project, we got to see Devin Jackson, uh, as a developmental player. We got to, got to see a bit of, uh, the freshman, uh, uh, Jerry Mixon. Um, I guess you're, you were sort of excluding Connor Soleil, who's the transfer from Arizona state because he's such an experienced player. You know, I, I wrote a whole project on him cause he's been around forever. Um, and then Bryce Betcher, I, I guess you're also excluding because he's, you know, he's a walk on and uh, he's a know, walk on and an upperclassman. Yeah, history. right. I mean, yeah. he's he's pretty much, you know, Betcher's playing at about the level that he's got. I mean, I, you know, to be perfectly honest about Betcher, like he he actually has the the lowest. I mean, he has the lowest grades of any any of the returners on my team. But like, of course, he does. He's a walk on and not really a football player. Um, and he like, was up against the opponent's starters. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah because I'm grading you know meaningful play. Um, uh, but like, I don't know. It's fun to watch him make tackles because he hits like a Mack truck. Like, <laughs> oh, absolutely! No, he play, he plays like an old school backer. But, but the, you know, the two guys that you were looking at in terms of developmental tape were, were Jackson and Mixon, right? Yeah, in terms of developmental tape, I, I tried to exclude the experienced players yeah. who are valuable to the team as backups. We're looking for guys who probably haven't uh, reached their full potential yet. We're trying to get a trying to get a window into what that might be. Yeah. And and you talk about potential. Jackson just has potential written all yeah. over him. He just I, flies across the field. Yeah, I got to see some, you know, when just looking at meaningful reps, you know, non-garbage time reps, I got to see him a bit because he would be like, I don't know, the fourth or so linebacker. Like the way that it worked you know, before there's sort of a, there's two eras in Oregon's linebacker. There's before Justin Jacobs comes in and then there's after Justin Jacobs comes in in the before era. It's, you know, Jeff boss is always on the field and they're sort of like rotating through Hill and Jackson and Soleil and Betcher, you know, it's, there's like five different guys who are on the field. And then as soon as Jacobs comes in, it's like, okay, it's Bossa and Jacobs and then just a little bit of Hill and a little bit of Devin Jackson and everybody else sit down. We basically stop seeing Betcher and Soleil, um, at least during meaningful reps. Um, 
So I, I got to see a bit of Jackson during meaningful play. And then I basically never saw the true freshman, Jerry Mixon. Um, so you're going to have to tell me everything that, I, that, that we're going to learn about Jerry Mixon. What would you see? Uh, I saw a guy who definitely looks like he has the build to play the position. He always looked almost a little too big compared to the other linebackers. Oh, really? Uh, we, he just sort of had that appearance. I don't know if it's exactly how he carries the weight. I'd have to check his listing to see how heavy he's. I mean, he's last I checked, I saw two, six two two thirty, which is like right in the middle. I yeah. mean, there. I know what you're talking about in terms of like mint defensive front uh, inside linebackers are sort of built in a more spidery way. Yeah, you know, and less in a fire plug way. Um. Yeah, that was the first thing I noticed about him on the film. And even in garbage time, he had a pretty small sample size, which is something you might expect of a true freshman. True freshmen don't see the field very much. Uh, had his ups and downs, certainly. Uh, but one of the best clips I have of him, you mentioned the Mint defense. Uh, inside linebackers are primary pass defenders in the Mint defense. And I have a great clip of him covering a slot receiver. So regardless of what he may look like from up above, he definitely has the skill set to fit into this defensive scheme. You can see why they brought him in. And then I, I, you already started to say it but before I jumped in, but like Devin Jackson, I mean, that speed is for, I mean, that dude's a, you know, he's a mid four star, almost a, like a high four star, like that. I mean, his, just his foot speed is incredible. If he figures out where the ball carrier is going, no one's going to, gonna outrun him if they're well okay there are probably a few guys out there who could outrun him but not no, a I mean, like a he's he's got legit tracks for his speed uh, like, most, absolutely he can he can keep up with any any anyone in the backfield i would say yeah he can probably find an angle on those folks he did have a fairly high error rate i think a lot of that is just learning the nuances of the position and learning to read where the play is going and be in the right spot yeah as a young player, that's obviously something that you can't rush. Some people pick it up a little quicker than others, but ultimately it's just you hear players talk all the time about whenever they go up to a jump up in competition, whether it's high school to college or college to pros, there's always a moment eventually where the game slows down. And what I saw with Jackson was someone who is an elite athlete who can who can play with anyone on the field. I don't think the game has slowed down for him yet, but when it does, oh boy, I'm going to be excited to see that. So, uh, all right. Uh, up one more level to the defensive line. Um, so the, so the interesting thing here is that, uh, you know, for a lot of these guys who like, I feel like in any other, defense we would be talking about them as like developmental players or like garbage time only guys like nope i was seeing them pretty extensively like to the point where i would even characterize them as starters or sort of like on the defensive line you rotate so much that that it's hard to really identify who the starters are but like so four guys you know uh, uh marion winston blake purchase matayo uyengalale and tatum tuiati like i saw so much during 
meaningful play that, you know, I, I feel like I, I got a pretty good handle on them. I understand that you watched them as well. And, and there's clips of those guys in your article playing into garbage time, which is useful to note, right? Like it's telling you that the staff was like, okay, I want you guys to be getting even more developmental reps. Um, right. Like, Absolutely. And uh, up on the D line of that group, you mentioned the uh, the perimeter pass rushers. It was uh, Purchase who was flashing a lot. He played deep into garbage time, but you can see why he was rotating in to keep people fresh as a starter. Yeah. He's got see, all that's kinds the of interesting thing is that of those four dudes, I'll recapitulate Marion Winston, Blake Purchase, Mattia Uyengale, Tatum Tuiati. Of those four dudes, who were playing during, you know, significantly during meaningful reps. Uh, uh, and like everybody else that we're going to mention, not so much. Um, like I, mm -hmm. I barely saw them if at all during meaningful reps. Um, uh, but those four dudes of those four dudes, Winston purchase, we Tuyati, purchase was the one who would come in last and he had, like I, I had him making the most errors and yet, and yet when he flashed, like his highs were real high. Like I was like, Ooh boy, when that guy really comes into his own, like he's going to be real scary. Like were you saying, or are you saying that you were seeing the same thing? I was absolutely seeing the same thing. I mean, I've got one clip of him uh, running right after Caleb Williams, and Williams can't slow down at all, and that guy's pretty fast. I've got another one where he manages to defend both guys on the read option. He stays outside, but he's so quick he comes back inside. Uh, but again, I also, you know, saw some saw some mistakes. Uh, yeah. There was a clip I ended up not including where. Uh, he didn't use proper leverage on a pass rush against mm -hmm. Washington state and the offensive yeah. tackle pretty much just belly yeah. flopped on top of him. I, I, I have a, yeah, I, I had a couple of those in meaningful, you know, play as well. Yeah. Where it's like you, you see him, it's like, yeah, he makes mistakes. Like he was making more mistakes than the other freshmen who were playing in meaningful reps. But at the same time, like, wow you can definitely see that like when he when he gets it man he's really gonna get it yeah he's probably someone who's still got some work to do in the weight room and so much of offensive and defensive line play comes down to footwork and hand placement and being able to manipulate and get off the other person's body it really it really is almost a kind of martial arts that they're oh, yeah. doing there in the no in the i think it's a very fair comparison yeah, and so it, as much talent as you need, anyone who's ever taken a martial arts class know it's, you know, repetition and timing and practice. And Purchase is one of those where once he gets the repetition down and he knows where to put his hands and how to read his uh, his blocker's intentions, he's, got, he's someone who has the opportunity to be really special. Okay, let's talk about... Uh, I think these three guys were all playing on the ends, although tell me if I'm wrong about any of those. Uh, all, uh, the th th those would be uh, Jaden Moore, uh, Ashton Porter, and Johnny Bowens? Yes, they were all either 
they were on the end. Sometimes I, they were from a two-point stance, and I was calling them a strong side linebacker, but they were edge players. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, what do you got to report? None of them flashed quite as much as uh, some of the others that I saw. We mentioned Bowens, didn't we? Yeah, more Bowens and Porter. Yeah, more Bowens and Porter. Uh, Bowens was mostly hand in the dirt, sort of a, a five technique style, yeah. kind of the kind of the big end. Yeah, going into there. the year, I had him. I, I had Bowens pegged as a five tech, and uh, I, I had um, more and Porter both as strong side OLBs. And, and that's what I saw, just okay. just based on their builds. Uh, it was kind of interesting. I got to pay a little bit more attention to the alignments this defense uses. It's not always the standard, you know, quote yeah. unquote, standard 404 that you saw a lot at Georgia. They they shift guys around a lot, and I saw mm. I saw some more two four, some two four five in passing situations yeah. as well. Uh, Porter, I think he may work his way into the rotation on the oh, yeah. edge. Uh, he's definitely not there yet. He's probably not got purchases ceiling, but if I had to say someone we'd see more of at strong side linebacker, he's probably the first name that would come up. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I mean, they have to replace Mace Funa, right? Mm-hmm. Who was, you know, basically their starting, you know, strong side OLB. So, uh, you know, they, they, you know, they've got a vacancy, you know, like there's, de- I mean, there's guys above them, but like, you know, the guys are going to be moving up. Um, I, I would expect at least one of those guys to be, uh, you know, to, to be, you know, one of the, the high rotational players mm-hmm. um yeah because like be... who else would it be you know yeah exactly so uh i think we may see more of him if i had to peg someone as keep an eye out for this guy next year it would probably be roberts because right now well, well i guess actually... now, now you move to the interior of the line oh, okay yeah i beg your pardon i did see no i you're absolutely right. I, I was confusing myself. Uh, I had Roberts lining up in the three technique, not the five technique. I misread that. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I beg your pardon. Yeah. So I, I would say Porter. Well, now edge. that. All right. That's fine. Let's move to the interior of the line. Wait, are you serious? Uh, in, in that lining case, up at the three technique, not in those. Uh Let's see. Uh, no, in, in the clips that i have i'm sorry this was uh ah i'm looking at roberts roberts was the guy who was sometimes playing the three technique yes uh he was also playing nose i saw them move him around a lot he and washington uh kind of a little fluid in there i saw washington more at the three tech but every once in a while he'd move in sometimes they'd shift him and try to give sort of a double a gap look to to throw teams off I, I I would have figured I I, I think I pinged you on this because somebody asked me on a forum that like Washington is the most likely to see you know real playing time next year because Oregon's losing you know where they're losing the most dudes who played last year is 
right here in the middle, right? Because they're losing Popa Amavai, they're losing Taki Taimani, they're losing Casey Rogers, right? And they're pretty much just bringing back Keon Ware Hudson, who, if we're being honest, like Keon Ware Hudson is probably the lowest talent, you know, mm-hmm. of, of, of any of these guys. So like they're, you know, this is the reason why they brought in Jamari Caldwell, right? You know, they, mm-hmm. they really want to help out here. So like, you know, we're, we're really you know we're and you know we'll see about the spring portal window i think they may not be done you know um hell with the way that michigan's coaching staff is falling apart i wouldn't be surprised if oregon went raiding um the wolverines but uh um but you know for the time being we're 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 definitely looking at some of these interior players uh um from garbage time in the interior line to you know to you know what what's their status for for stepping up we know that one of them has already departed through the transfer portal to vita poma a so we're looking at ben roberts who i had penciled in straight up as a nose uh amari washington who i had penciled in you know as you know three or, or you know somewhere as interior um uh there's also mikhail gardner and terrence green um i you know i'm 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 really excited about terrence green um uh, what'd you see out of those guys? Uh, first of all, I didn't get any clips of Gardner. I think they, okay. uh, they're keeping him in the oven for right now. All right. Uh, green is interesting because I didn't have any frowny faces on my tally sheet for him. Now that you bring that up, mm. uh, to be fair, he was also not the most frequently rotated in. So we got to take sample size into this. But uh, I saw. I mean, a lot that of... guy's a four eye all day. Like oh, his yeah. his body, he's he's six five three fifteen. That's what he came in as. I as know, as an eighteen freshman. year old. My God, yeah, six five three fifteen. Like, oh my goodness, right? Like, so we're not talking about like a nose tackle here. Like, we're mm-hmm. we're talking about a four eye all day long. Um, uh, uh, and, and just like absolutely ideal for you know mint defensive structure. Um. Oh, like, oh, oh my goodness. But you didn't see him that often? He didn't, he didn't come up uh, on my tally sheet as often as the other two. I think he was, uh, he, he would wait until after Washington and Roberts had gotten their snaps in before they'd start rotating him in. I would agree with you on Washington. I think if uh, one of these guys who's going to start seeing uh, the most, if we're, thinking at least one of these guys is probably going to have to be part of the primary rotation. And even if they go rating, that's probably true. Washington would be my pick to start seeing the most time in there. I think uh, I saw him most often at the three tech. And I think that's probably where his strengths are. But if you want to play around with alignment and shift and stem him, I think he could be effective at the nose. What did you think of Roberts? Roberts was pretty solid. I wasn't quite as impressed with him as Washington. He didn't have the whoa plays that Washington did, but I don't mm. have anything to take away from him. I mean, nose tackles rarely, like if you're a two gapping nose tackle, you know, your job is just to eat, is, to, is just eat gaps, you know, like you're probably not going to get those. Like um, the question is whether or not, you know, are, are, are you, are you absorbing combos? Are you like getting driven back? Are you, you know, effectively occupying the space or are you getting driven back? Like, would you, you know, do you have frowny faces? 
Uh, I do not have a lot of frowny faces for him. There, there are a handful, but there are for almost every player if you oh, see sure. any significant time. Uh, but for the most part, Roberts was holding two blockers pretty well when he lined up at the nose, and that's what you want a nose to do. I guess this is a question we may not get the answer to till after you've done the film review for all the transfers, but where do you see uh, the incoming defensive lineman? Do you see him more as a nose or more as a three technique? Man, that one's really hard. Like, and, and I haven't really cracked into that yet. Uh, although it is my first defensive project to watch as Jamari Caldwell, like, because like, well, first, first to know is that Houston, even though they're playing a three down front, like does, not wasn't playing a mint or a tight front like they were playing like you know it wasn't like a, a 404 or 505 it was much more like a a wide three um and he wasn't playing the nose in it like he was playing like an outside defensive end which is like kind of weird because his body does not look like that like it does not look like a pass rusher i mean it looks like a nose tackles body like i mean he looks like a big old boulder um it's actually kind of impressive that he moves as well as he does because like he does not i mean he he looks like a boulder like i mean he looks like a guy who he came in as a freshman looking like that i would just be like saying this dude needs to reshape his body um mm -hmm. <laughs> and yet you you look at him i mean you look at him for five seconds and you're like damn dude like i mean the way that he moves and the way that he just like knocks dudes out of the way you're like okay fine you can play <laughs> you can play like that that's fine like uh yeah so i actually think it's gonna be really interesting you know whether or not they just take his body I I really I don't know the answer to this question. I'm really really interested to see what they do in the spring game, because there's really two different things. Well, I guess three different things they could do. You know, one would be they take his body and they do what with his body what his body is sort of supposed to be, which is nope. You're supposed to be a nose. You're supposed to eat two gaps and just like th you know throw your weight around like that. The other would be to do what, what Houston was doing with him, just like move him in a bit, uh, which would sort of be the closest analog that I could think of to the way that Oregon uh, to to a player like that that Oregon has had for the last two years would be like Brandon Dorless, mm -hmm. where he sort of like moves around and plays different positions, even though like, well, you're not really supposed to do that in the way that a mint defensive structure is classically described. Uh, but like, oh, who cares? You're real good. Uh, so just do, 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 do it. Play anywhere from like a two to a seven. I don't care. Like, just do it uh so yeah i don't know i don't know what they're gonna do like and it will probably inform uh you know some of these other you know decisions um yeah most definitely we'll have to keep an eye out in the spring game because now that you're describing that houston had him had him out as an end i could see him sort of rotating a lot of places along the line but all doing a lot uh along with jordan birch more on the edge yeah. and then bringing both roberts and washington up into the primary rotation yeah. or if they want to if they want to use him in the middle more then uh maybe maybe that means uh only one of those gets into the primary rotation but then i'm not entirely sure who's spelling jordan birch so we'll see yeah. uh let's talk about the offensive line um mm -hmm. you got to see i guess it was actually a 
fairly, you know, you mentioned number 78, Janoris Wilson, but he only played in the opener against Portland State. Other than that, you saw, I think, a fairly consistent, uh, you know, th- the backup offensive line, right? Very much so. I saw pretty much th- the entire backup offensive line almost all of the footage that I was seeing, I think in the Portland state game, they had Jackson powers Johnson in there snapping to Ty Thompson at one point, but that was an outlier. Uh, So we saw the backups, some of whom are experienced backups who I didn't classify as developmental players. So that would be uh, at tackles. That was uh, Fa Ope Lalaulu and uh, George Silva. Those are experienced guys. And uh, then on the interior, you had, uh, sorry, let me check my, let me check my notes here. Yeah, Yeah, we had... uh, just to prevent any confusion, Fa'ope Laulu is the older brother of Iapani Laulu, who is the guard slash center, who is a true freshman that we were seeing sort of rotate in throughout the year and then ultimately play the starting center throughout the Fiesta Bowl, you know, as a true freshman. His older brother, Faope, is a, a tackle and uh, came in in the 2020 class. He came in at like 400 pounds, um, yeah. in, you know, under Mario Cristobal. <laughs> and and has, has spent like three years really reshaping his body. Um, and to the point where, like, I think he looks really, you know, when I've seen him, I was just like, wow, like he he really moves really well um, now. Uh, and, but like you're saying, like he's he's old enough at this point. You're like, OK, I'm not evaluating you as a developmental player because you're like not a freshman anymore. Uh, that was my my take with this project. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he given his circumstances, uh, it might be worth seeing if they didn't have both their starting tackles back yeah uh next year uh he might have been worth a closer look but i was concentrating on the younger players so at tackle that was basically we mentioned wilson got eight snaps the entire Mm -hmm. year so most of the time and always at right tackle never at left tackle was number 73 uh kavika rogers Mm -hmm. so got to see a lot of him he was the lineman I had the most frowny faces on. I don't well, want to necessarily read too much into that, but it does bear mention. I mean, it's not it's not a huge surprise. He yeah. number one, he was I think the youngest that you would have been seeing because he's a, he was a redshirt freshman mm-hmm. and he was the lowest rated in the two four seven composite as an eight six eight one, which is a you know a, a low. Or excuse me, it's a, it is a mid three star, but the lowest of the mid three stars. So, and on top of that, like I sort of think that that guy's supposed to be a guard, not a tackle. So, um, yeah, I guess I'm not real surprised by you saying that. Like he got the most frowny faces for you. Yeah, I would. I wasn't really looking to. Th- looking at him and thinking, oh, maybe you should slide him into guard at some point. But there were there were just a variety of uh, of things. A lot of it was technique wise. And again, you know, redshirt freshman offensive lineman hasn't been practicing the martial arts of the line of scrimmage at this level as long. So there's so there's foot and hand placement. There's lunging. There's being in the right spot in pass protection. So he was always playing right tackle. 
right tackle. When did you, or did you see George Silva? Uh, George Silva came in on the left. Uh, If Lalo Ulu was on the bench, George Silva was second at left tackle. Okay. So, so what, what was the order of left tackles? Uh, left tackles, uh, when the backups came in, it was Faope Lalaulu was the first backup in, and then George Silva was the second backup at left tackle. Interesting. And, and the order of the right tackles was just Rogers all the time. It was all Rogers all the time, except that first game where we saw Wilson. That's really interesting. That's not what I would have expected. I would have expected, I would have expected, uh, I would have expected, well, Laulu all the time mm-hmm. at left tackle and Silva. Uh, well, pretty much I would have expected Silva all the time as the backup right tackle. And then I would mm-hmm. have expected Rogers as a rotational guard. So uh, what you're telling me as Rogers, as the, as the number two right tackle all the time and Silva as the number three left tackle, like, oh man, that's really surprising because Silver was a, a four-star Juco, a pretty experienced tackle and like one of the most valuable Juco's in, you know, the last cycle. Um, and for him to be like number three, I'm kind of, kind of surprised by that. I was a little surprised when I saw that too. I would have assumed that the, the more experienced players would have gotten some backup reps. I am curious if, again, I don't want to read too much in into this because I don't have any inside information. I am curious if there were an actual injury situation to the starters, if they wouldn't have put uh, Silva in before they put Rogers in, that hmm. would not have surprised me. Fortunately, we didn't have to go there, but. It could hmm. be that they, the coaches just wanted Rodgers to get as much practice as he could. Because they figured, you're thinking that maybe they figured, hey, Silva's a Juco. He's been around the block a few times. We don't need to expend developmental time on this guy. He's as, as ready as he's going to be. Rodgers, on the other hand, you know, we, we could use some time working on him. It seems like an idea that would explain what I was seeing. I don't necessarily have anything beyond just the fact that I saw Rogers at right tackle during the entire garbage time to back it up, though. Okay. So what about the guards? Uh, Guards, this is going to be kind of interesting because uh, there's a guard that needs to be replaced, but there's also a transfer coming in. So uh, we mentioned Iapani Lalaulu. He split his time between center and right guard, but it seems like based on the Fiesta Bowl, his future is at center. Uh, you also so had... you were seeing him in addition to the fact that he was rotating pretty consistently during meaningful time with Stephen Jones and, uh, and then at times as well um, with Marcus Harper on the left side during meaningful time. He was also playing during garbage time. Yes, he was. In fact, I'd say during garbage time until later in the season, it was actually more common to see number 70 Charlie Pickard at mm-hmm. center with right. uh, Lalo Ulu to his right. And then Dave Iuli got all of his snaps at left guard. So Pickard is a, a walk on, although we've seen him very consistently for a long time. Um, he came in in 2021. And since he's been a true freshman in spring games, in pretty much any situation that they've needed a backup center, um, pretty much until Iapani Laulu came in. 
um, they went to Pickard. Like he's been their sort of go-to guy um, as the as a, hey, we need a center um, for this weird situation. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that guy earns a scholarship just as a like, hey, you know, th- thanks, man. Th- you know, thanks for always being there for us uh, kind of deal. Um, w- w- I had somebody on a forum ask, you know, simply because you mentioned him so many times in in your article as like is given sort of attaboys for good play. Like, what did, did, do you think, you know, hey, that's an, that maybe some meaningful plays in this guy's future? Well, I'll tell you, uh, of all the offensive linemen, the one with the lowest error rate on my tally sheet was Pickard. Hmm. Uh, so I don't know if he would be rotating in with the starting rotation. I could see him coming in in relief in a short-term situation. I almost wonder if... Well, you I know, mean, their backup in 2023 was, was Poncho. If Poncho's the starter now, hey, who's the backup? Yeah. I, I got to figure it's Pickard. I, that's what I'm assuming. Uh, I must admit, I didn't realize that Pickard was a walk-on. I never would have guessed it based on his film. But it mm. seems to me like uh, the first person uh, off the bench who would be snapping the ball would have to be Pickard. Um. And then uh, Davey Uli, uh, you're saying, was the the other guard that you were seeing extensively in garbage time? Yes, Davey Uli was the other developmental uh, guard that I was seeing extensively at garbage time. There are upperclassmen I was seeing, Strether and Angelau, but... uh, I I, I The the number twos from left to right, you know, the, the, the... the starters we know who the starters mm-hmm. were but the 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 next line in uh that you would see would be uh Faope Laulu mm-hmm. uh uh Uli, Iapani Laulu um uh 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 help me out right guard uh right guard let me check my notes because i for, i believe that was normally struther but i'm just opening up my notes right now so i can double check this and then i would see uh rogers at right tackle right did did you see michael wooten at all i did not see wooten i don't recall ever putting his name down yeah Interesting. Yeah, let's see. Iuli, yeah, it looks like Iuli was uh, generally, generally second line at left guard. Yeah. 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 So who? So so did you see? I, I know that Angelo missed this entire season again. He missed all of 2022, and now he's missed all of 2023, which really sucks. Two years. Yeah. Although he's probably got two like two years of medical red shirts coming, so that guy could be playing through 2025, really, uh, which is crazy for a guy who was in the 2018 recruiting cycle. Um, yeah. Like, yeah, that guy could be, you know, Cam McCormick, you know, <laughs> like Doctor Angelou. Um, the uh, um, what about Nishad Struther? Um, like I know at the like just before the season started, there was like a photo of him with like his arm in a sling, and everybody's like, "Oh no, you know, Oregon took this transfer, and then he's not going to be able to play." Um, uh, and then like we finally saw him at, like the end of this game. Like, what what did you see out of Struther? 
Uh, I did see Struther. He came in more often at uh, later in the season, which is to be expected because he was healing up. Uh, I think it also goes to explain why he had the the highest error rate on my tally sheet. I'm not mm-hmm. sure he was at 100%, or he could have just been needing to play his way back into shape. And then Angelau, again, uh, I did see him. I saw him in the Fiesta Bowl, but that was obviously late in the season. Oh, you did? Yeah. I, yeah. I have him uh, lining up at, at right guard in the Fiesta Bowl. Oh, interesting. Um, and then uh, it, just, just two other true freshmen from the 2023 class who uh, I'm not sure you would have seen at all, Lupe Mwala and uh, Bryce Bolton. Uh, I did not have them on my tally okay. sheet, no. Uh, let's see. Let's talk about uh, wide receivers. Um that there were a few, uh, let's see, uh, Jury and Dickey, um, uh, Justice Lowe, uh, Kyler Casper. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, I got to see all of them. Uh, Justice Lowe, uh, I got to see on the field. He didn't record a catch this season, so I didn't, I didn't have much that I could actually include okay. in the article there. Um, but you did see him. He was like running around, running routes. He, he was running around on routes, and frankly, he probably could have had a touchdown in the Portland State game had it been a different route progression. But mm-hmm. uh, th- that wasn't too important at that point. That game was already well in hand. Uh, did see Dickey running around. He had a couple of good blocks, and he got a catch in the bowl game. Uh, Casper was the most frequently used of the young wide receivers. And I even remember seeing him occasionally in non-garbage time, they would bring him in and sort of, you know, huck up a jump ball and say, okay, go get it. Uh, yeah. that was the, the most, he's, he's six, six and the oldest of the, he, he's a red shirt freshman. So mm-hmm. sort of, yeah, I, 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 you know, I get that. Yeah, and that that's a lot of what we saw in garbage time too. Is we we try they try those jump balls to him when they when he had one on one coverage to the outside. Didn't have a great success rate with them, but uh, when you have a receiver with that kind of that kind of physique, obviously that's something you're you're going to want to put in your repertoire if you can if you can rep it. So so that makes a lot of sense. If you if you didn't know anything about these guys, anything about their recruiting, you know, rankings or, or, or anything else, if the only thing that you had to go by was, you know, just what you saw on tape, did you see anything on tape that made you say like, oh my God, you, you're not going to be able to keep these guys off the field? I didn't, I would probably say no. Okay. Uh, I didn't see that much. Uh Again, you know, this is garbage time, so we can put yeah. in the caveat that a lot of times they weren't throwing the ball deep a lot. But uh, I did I did not see that in the film. I The other thing that was interesting is that they kept some of the starters in pretty late. They kept Gary yeah. Bryant and Treshawn Holden out there a while. Yeah, that's 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 sort of where I was going with this, too, was that like I, I was I, I thought that was kind of remarkable was, that, you know, how deep they were keeping. First of all, how little they rotated the wide receivers. And then mm-hmm. second of all, that like, yeah, man, I was, you know, I, I remember when I was watching games, you know, I wasn't charting them, but it was just sort of watching casually. I was just like, what is Gary Bryant still doing on the field? Like, uh, yeah. 
Uh, I, I just feel like you, you, this was probably the unit that I, I was most frustrated with in the sense that like, I wanted garbage time film to look at or to give you to look at, uh, and that like the, the staff was like, no, screw you. (laughs) You're not going to get it. Um, uh, and then tight ends, pretty much the only one you saw was Kenyon Sadiq, who's, who's interesting. We talked about a little bit in terms of like his blocking. Um, did you see anything else, uh, from garbage time out of him? Uh, I'm really impressed with his foot speed at the tight end position. There were a couple of times where he was outrunning secondary players to the edge. So I think if he hits the weight room and works on his blocking fundamentals, just based on uh, who is and isn't coming back, I'd expect to see him as the third tight end next season. But I'd be excited to see them put the ball in his hands. Uh, How about the running back, Jaden Lamar? Uh, Lamar, I was also impressed with. Oregon gets uh, two starters back. They're going to get Noah Whittington back from injury and Jordan James is coming back. But uh, you want to find that third back. And they did take in a transfer. Very interesting case from a Division II school. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, Jay Harris, who's apparently gotten a ton of accolades. And like running back is the type of position that like, oh man, it's, it's one or the other. There's no in between either for for running backs who get a lot of accolades you know when they transfer up to a higher division they it either totally translates and they're awesome and it's like thank god for the transfer portal you know so this guy isn't like condemned to to being a big fish in a small pond forever uh, or they do absolutely nothing and you're like mm, that's why he was in division 2 and there's no in between like they never like do just a little, you know, or halfway like, so, you know, I, I don't know what to expect out of, you know, it's going to be one or the other for Jay Harris, but I have no idea what to expect. Cause like, good luck finding division two film. He's like the only transfer. I'm not going to write an article about, well, no, I'm not going to write an article, about Atticus Sappington either. Cause like, <laughs> well, yeah, we normally don't chart yeah. special teams. <laughs> I suppose yeah. you could chart that one nine-yard run he had on fourth and eleven against Arizona. Yeah, right. yeah, just for, just for kicks. Ha ha ha. Uh, uh, but yeah, I, 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 even without really having watched a ton on Jaden Lamar, I tend to agree with you. Just because, like, hey, you know, Carlos Lachlan's batting a thousand. You know, if he says this is the dude, like, uh, okay, I. I believe you, Los. Like, yeah, uh, I I think it says something that normally Lamar would come in before Dante Dowdell, and mm-hmm. also that Dante Dowdell chose to transfer. Yeah, because uh, I mean, out of out of Lamar, I've I've seen examples of quickness, great acceleration through the hole. I've seen examples of pushing the pile, and they used him a lot in the passing game. Uh, a lot of swing passes, a lot of screen passes, and he had really good hands. So if he stays in the weight room, uh, keeps up with his physical training, I have no reason why we shouldn't see him in meaningful play next year. And a lot of people have, I I think, correctly noted that Oregon's quarterback situation is set up really nicely with the progression of, you know, Gabriel, Dante Moore, uh, the recruits that they're bringing in and the planned recruit for uh, of Achilles Smith Jr., Um, uh, and sort of like Austin Novosad is sort of and I guess, you know, Logan as well is sort of like the odd man out. Dude's a mid four star, 
you know, uh, but we've really only seen him in a little bit in garbage time as a true freshman this year. You never really want to judge anybody too harshly on or really at all based on their their true freshman tape. Um, you know, Lord knows if you did that based on, you know, you nobody would ever give Dante Moore a second look. And, and thank no. God people are. Um, uh, what do you see out of Novosad? Do, do you do you think that there's going to be genuine competition um, with Dante Moore for you know the the, the backup quarterback position? Uh, you know, having not watched a whole lot of UCLA games this past season, and because Dante Moore was only the starter for part of them, I don't I don't know if I can say whether this is a real genuine competition, but I can say I saw enough that I could see it being one. Uh, between experience in the system and just what I did see from Novasad, I've got no reason to believe that more. You, you didn't walk see away anything out this. of Novasad where you were like, "Oh my God, not uh, no. this guy." <laughs> no, I mean, don't get me wrong. True freshman quarterback, I saw uh, more errors than uh, than you would like in an in a backup but he wasn't mm. the backup ty thompson was the backup uh yeah. there were a couple of rpo reads especially early in the season that's a skill you've just got to get used to reading uh but you know when his footwork is right when he is able to set his feet and fire he's he's accurate the ball comes out with zip uh, he seems reasonably athletic. Uh, interestingly, I didn't record any scrambles or design runs for him. I don't know if that hmm. was on purpose or if it's just the way it worked out. But uh, I don't see any reason why he shouldn't at least push Dante more. But I mean, like there are some quarterbacks where like you only need to see him try like two or three passes and you're like, oh, that ain't the dude. You know, the Braxton yeah. Burmeister phenomenon where mm-hmm. you're like, I don't need to see anything more yeah. like the Come on. Next. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm not. I did not see a noodle arm. I did not see, you know, the ball going end over end, spinning on its long axis. <laughs> I've I, again, I I think this might be at least in the top three, one of the strongest quarterback rooms that uh, this could go up against almost any quarterback room from top to bottom in that first three that we've seen at Oregon in a long, long time, if not ever. All right. Good stuff. Like I, I really enjoyed um, uh, reading both of your articles. Uh, listener, you, uh, you should too. I, I definitely enjoyed that. I didn't have to hold your hand through making the video clips. I just told you which uh, software I used and you taught yourself all of it. That was great. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm not going to say it went completely smoothly. There was definitely uh, a learning curve there, but you know what? Uh, we're through that. And next time I get to use it, it should be a lot more fun. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, a uh, gets addictive and, uh, and, and yeah, uh, look forward to, to buying storage whenever it goes on sale. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm keeping my eye out. Believe me. Uh, yeah, there's this, uh, 18 terabyte, uh, external that just went on sale. Although, uh, you should really build yourself a raid. Yeah. Uh, all right. That's, uh, that's going to do it for us this week. You got any parting words of wisdom for us, uh, Tristan? Uh, well, uh, Football, the offseason never stops, but we got all kinds of other sports action coming up. Uh, my project for next week is figure out how lacrosse is played. <laughs> uh, lacrosse uh, went through a coaching change uh, last at the end of last year. Um, it was uh, not a particularly successful team, um, but uh, perhaps the a new day dawns uh, with the, the new coaching squad. And of course, it never rains.
on this podcast.